This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Paulina. And Paulina was in a toxic relationship with a spiritual abuser. It's a story of altruistic narcissism, sowing the seeds of doubt, reactive abuse, and delusions of grandeur. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now before we get to our episode with Paulina, I first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also a reminder, if you've not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our new revved up brand new website recently, please do go there at NarcissistApocalypse.com and fill out the guest form there if you want to be a guest on the show. Click on that button. It's at the top of the page. Send me a little message. We'll go from there. And if you want to be a participant on our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode, we're up to number six would be our next one. Also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter, you click on the side of the page. There's a, there's a button there that says Send Voicemail. You click on that button, records up to five minutes. You click it twice, records up to ten minutes. We are accumulating our letters to our narcissist letters for a compilation episode number six, so send in those letters. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal Melissa to read the letter for you, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. Other things at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we are offering high-conflict parenting courses at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, 
We have now partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting, and many of the courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And other things we have is our Patreon. On our Patreon, we have episodes that never made it to air. We've had episodes of follow-up guests. We have episodes of me and Melissa just chatting. We also have virtual support groups on there, and we have our own private message forum board attached to it as well now. That's five bucks minimum a month. You know, you get all that stuff. If you want to pay more, pay more. It helps support the show, helps keep our show free. Patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse. If you want to support the show, go there. You get all these extra things. It's a pretty good deal. See you there, and a big shout out to everyone uh, on our Patreon and who was in the virtual support group on Saturday and Wednesday and last Saturday. Big shout out to you guys, and it was a good group on Saturday. You know, we were all pretty helpful with each other uh, a lot. You know, it was really, it was really just good group that night. Anyway, I'm rambling, and you know, this is uh, we're about to get to the episode. This is episode with Paulina. It's a really interesting episode. We talk about spiritual abuse gurus. Um, you know, reactive abuse. We talk about a lot of different stuff. We get into that kind of world of using spirituality against you, especially when you're someone who's big into that type of community and takes it seriously. And, you know, it was used against her in a big way. Just as the story unfolds, you see it uh, start happening more and more and more and more. So it's a really interesting story. Thank you to Paulina for being part of the show and sharing her story and uh, letting it all hang out there. So big thanks to you, Paulina. And now without further ado, here is my episode with Paulina. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Paulina. How are you? Hi, I'm doing all right. Thank you. How are you? I am good, and thank you for doing this with me today. You're, you know, not in the country of your origin at this time, so we're on a, a different time schedule here. So, big thank you, and you know, for everyone who is listening right now, you're about to hear a story of spiritual abuse, which we haven't really covered in the greatest uh, detail yet uh, while we have done this uh, show. So thank you very much, Paulina, for being here, for uh, sharing your story with us. Unfortunately, it happened to you, but thankfully you're here with us right now and you're doing okay. And also, last thing, everyone, um, you know, you also deal with uh, brain fog in certain situations. So other people who are dealing with that, this show might be uh, of interest to you and very helpful as well. So a big thank you. And now, uh, without further ado, <laughs> without further ado, I almost said your real name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Paulina, the floor is now yours. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate this show. It's helped me kind of come to terms with everything. Um, so just to begin with, with my story, I think that my story begins with, um, starting as the type of person that I was as a child. And that is that 
I was extremely shy in my childhood. So I, um, I was always a big perfectionist and an overachiever. Um, I would say that my parents were, you know, I had a pretty normal upbringing and my parents had a pretty good marriage. So I can't say that anything really dramatic happened with them. Um, but I would say that my father had a slight tinge of narcissism in his personality and it was never something that was overwhelming, but it was just enough that his presence filled the room and made everybody else feel a little bit smaller. And he had to be, he had to be right all of the time. And, um, so my father chose a profession that tends to, in my opinion, attract a fair amount of, um, people with slight narcissistic tendencies. So he had a really big personality. Um, I never really exactly, um, got along with my father. Great. But I always wanted to make him proud and to please him. And so I worked really hard throughout school, but I was also really quiet and really shy. So, um, growing up throughout, throughout school, I, uh, was always the quiet one, always wanted to people please, and I also had really big shoes to fill because everybody in my family is extremely successful. Um, there's a lot of doctors and lawyers and um, even some uh, even some people in my family who are academically um, very renowned and successful. And so there's kind of a big shoes to fill type of situation in my in my household. Um, so that being said, I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. And, um, and I did succeed except for the fact that I was bullied a lot in high school. So I, well, not just in high school, but I was bullied a lot in elementary school. And, um, it's because of the color of my skin. I was darker than everybody else. So that kind of always gave me a feeling of very low self-worth growing up. And I remember I was told by, um, a friend as soon as we became, teenagers, um, I was told that no boy would ever like me because I was ugly and brown. And so I just remember that moment really profoundly affected, um, I guess, my entire mentality and the way that I would see relationships and the way I would view my own self-worth growing up. And so I kind of adopted the mentality of, well, if boys are never going to like me, then I'm just going to be really successful on my own and, you know, just kind of ignore that, even though it made me feel sad. So I did really well in school. I was very athletic. Um, and, but I, I did struggle with depression and low self-worth. Um, so as soon as I got to college, suddenly it was kind of like the ugly duckling. Suddenly I kind of became attractive and boys started to pay attention to me, which was really different and really something unexpected. And so I, I had a few good dating experiences and I dated, but never very seriously. None of my relationships lasted very long, mostly because I was so ambitious and I just did not want to become distracted, um, from all of my future career goals. And so unfortunately my entire life came to kind of a crashing halt. Um, when I suddenly woke up one day extremely sick. Um, and actually I, I went to sleep and, and then I woke up the next day and I was partially paralyzed in the morning with my hands, not able to move. 
Um, I had sudden like pain in my body as if I had been soaked in acid. All of my nerves are on fire in my joints. And so I just suddenly developed this really mysterious illness that completely turned my entire life around. And um, it was such a traumatic experience that um, nobody really believed me as I was going through this. Many people, um, because the doctors could not find um, initially what was wrong with me, I, it was assumed that I was like making this up. And a lot of people with chronic health conditions go through that experience of, of being gaslit and disbelieved through the medical establishment. And so even though I had this very real condition with many um, health problems that I developed um, almost overnight and nobody could figure out exactly why I had, um, and I still have neuropathy and severe muscle pain, uh, severe nerve pain. Uh, sorry, I mentioned that already. <laughs> um, so neuropathy, muscle pain, severe joint pain, uh, just pain throughout my body and weakness and partial paralysis and really bad headaches and brain fog and unable to get out of bed. And I was bedridden and I couldn't even walk for a long time. And I felt like I was dying. So this was really a, a huge, this was the biggest event that happened to me in my life. And, um, and so in the process of going through that, the boy, the boyfriend who I was with at the time, he was very kind and supportive, but I just felt like I was holding him back because here I was in my early 20s still, and I was extremely sick and I couldn't do anything that most people could do. And I knew that he loved to do all of these things. He loved to go rock climbing and he loved to go biking and, and I couldn't do any of these things with him. And I also felt like maybe we were not like we never fought, but I don't think that we were maybe soulmates. And so I ended up um, breaking up with him, which was really difficult because I just felt like I was I was holding him back. And even though he was really kind and supportive, I just I knew that he wanted to live a normal life and that me with the chronic illness that I had developed, I knew that I wasn't able to be like a normal girlfriend. And I also was going through just such a mental hell during that time. And I, I was having suicidal thoughts because of, you know, how much pain I was in and just feeling like horrible levels of pain, like nine out of 10, like really, really severe pain. So after that, I went through the period of trying to discover myself again because I had this new health condition. And so I decided that, you know, even though my life went to hell basically and everything that I wanted to do, um, all of my plans got trashed by my health. Um, I wanted to, you know, go to um, medical school and, and that's kind of impossible when you're mostly bedridden, which was kind of the situation that I was dealing with. So I decided that I wanted to kind of find myself and, and try to find myself spiritually. And so that's when I started to, um, get really into, eventually I got into, Buddhist meditation, which I really loved. And I actually did some ayahuasca ceremonies, which actually really helped me with my PTSD. And so that was a wonderful experience. I met some really fantastic people along the way. And, you know, it's hard because I'm coming, coming to terms with the grief and the loss and the pain of having this really serious chronic illness, which prevents me from being the person who I thought I was and prevents me from doing the things that I always dreamed of doing in my life. So there's a lot of kind of feeling sorry for myself and um, 
asking why me and, you know, kind of just this whole spiritual experience that goes along with something massive like that. So in that process, I feel like I really did discover a lot about life. And I finally, you know, I, I, I got to the point where I felt a little bit better about my situation, but, but my confidence was still really, really low. So on one hand, I was like, kind of, I feel like I had a a positive attitude for my situation. Um, and I was making the, the most of what I, what life had given to me, but I also felt like not very confident in myself because of my chronic illness, if that makes sense. So, so in that process, I decided I, I didn't want to date for a while. So I, I didn't date. I just focused on myself and, you know, trying to get my health back as much as I could, um, doing all sorts of diets, doing a lot of meditation retreats, just doing tons and tons of spiritual work on myself. And I was working part-time, which is the only work I was able to do. But I decided I wanted to start dating again. And so I started dating on OkCupid. And this was definitely difficult for me because I went on a few dates that I thought were nice and I thought went well, but eventually at the end of the date um, or at some point, you know, I would talk about my health problems in a little bit more detail. And, you know, I had mentioned them before, so it wasn't a surprise, but generally, as soon as I started talking about these things, like every, every man who I went on a date with would kind of pull away or even ghost me. And that happened probably like five to 10 times, um, which was really difficult for my confidence, as you can imagine. Um, you know, because I am someone who was bullied extensively as a child. And then in college, I was suddenly getting attention from guys. And then again, now I'm getting rejected a lot. So that was very difficult for me. So this is when I meet my narc. Um, It was through an OkCupid date. And so I kind of felt, even though I had been rejected so many times and felt pretty low about myself. I was still in a relatively positive place mentally, just trying to, you know, make the most of my situation, um, which looking back retrospectively, I, I probably wasn't ready to date, but I really wanted to date and I really wanted to have a boyfriend. So, um, so I was on OkCupid and I found this guy who seemed really interesting. And the first thing that I noticed about him was that he had um, a profile picture with all these animals in it. And I really love animals. And so that got my attention. And he had a lot of other interesting things in his profile picture as well. He had interesting um, things about spirituality. And he even wrote this really interesting little poem that was like kind of deep, but also kind of funny, but also not too spiritual. And and I just, I liked his profile and I thought it was really interesting and so I decided to reach out to him, which is really rare because usually it's the, it's the guy who would reach out to the woman. Um, so I reached out to him and he responded and, you know, he was interested in me as well. And so I don't know. I just felt really intrigued by this person. So we finally decided to meet up for a date. And when we first met, I would say it was definitely not love at first sight. 
for me. Um, first meeting him, I felt a little bit confused. I wasn't sure how to think about the situation. Um, he was one of the most unusual people that I have ever met, and still to this day is one of the most unusual people. So when we met, he I noticed one of the first things is that he really liked to talk about himself. But I think that there was something just really different and really intriguing about him that kept me there and that kept me on that first date. And um, almost immediately, he started to dive into all of these various different spiritual philosophies and spiritual concepts. And I could tell that he was not somebody who liked small talk, which I actually found really refreshing. So I enjoyed that because sometimes I get bored of small talk too. And I could also tell that he was extremely intelligent. Some of the ideas and the way that he uh, viewed things, the way that his mind works was really fascinating and really different than anybody that I'd ever met. And so I kind of enjoyed listening to his long rambles because they were pretty interesting, even though he talked a lot and he talked about himself a lot. And so after the dinner, we went for a long walk. And during that walk, I felt as if there was like this dark force kind of over me. And I don't know how to describe it, but it felt like something really dark and uncomfortable was over me. But at the same time, like I felt intrigued, like I couldn't. I couldn't leave. And I felt almost like captivated by the experience, which was interesting. And I actually kind of gaslit myself and I thought, oh, you know, this is um, just overthinking it or I'm just expecting the worst. And I was kind of thinking that, oh, I'm, I'm just not allowing myself to have a good time. So I had all of these excuses for the weird feeling that I had during the date. So to Which, sorry to sum up, you know, you guys uh, saw each other's profiles. You saw his. You reacted to his profile in a positive way. He yeah. was intriguing. He had the animal aspect thing for for you there that you liked. He, you know, he was big into um, this type of philosophy and these deeper conversations. And now you're out on your first date with him. And, you know, those conversations are intoxicating to you. What he's talking about really is hitting a chord with you. And you're looking at him from a perspective now where it's a trance like talk in a way, um, that it has you in this tractor beam and it's something that you've never experienced before with someone else. And that right now really has you uh, locked in after date one. Is that fair? Yeah, de- okay. I would say definitely. Okay. Yeah, I would say that's definitely fair. And and the, the red flags were there, but the, the, the experience was so unique and so captivating that I just... It was like I ignored the red flags, almost like I was gaslighting myself because I was so interested in the experience. Is he and, is he coming off as a not? He's even though he might be uh, showing himself as a know it all of some sort. You're not looking at it in that way at this time because you're so intrigued in the subject matter uh, of what is actually coming out of his mouth. Yeah, exactly. And he was, and he's, like I mentioned, he was really intelligent. So that was something that I was highly attracted to. Um, actually, as we were going for a walk, which ended up being a really, really long walk, um, it was the longest date that I've ever been on. 
uh, that's when he started to really uh, kind of become obsessed with me. Um, I think more so than I was with him. So he really suddenly started to say things towards the middle of our date, like, wow, like, you're so amazing. I've never talked to anyone like you. You're so unique. You're so interesting. You're so intelligent. So he was saying all of these things and really like valuing um, what I had to offer in the conversation, which is something that I had not experienced in a really, really long time. So that definitely felt really good to feel like I was valued. And the other thing is that I was really nervous to tell him about all of my health problems, but I did. And he actually reacted really well to it. In fact, he was seemingly, um, at the time he seemed very supportive and very compassionate about everything that I was going through. And in fact, um, I will mention this is that he was a doctor in training, um, which is funny because I swore to myself that I would never date a doctor, but he was so different than most of the doctors that I had known. And um, my father is also a doctor too, which is part of why I never wanted to date one. Um, so when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That being so unique and, and him being so interested in me and then him being okay with my health issues um, kind of felt like, you know, things were working out really well between us. And I would say that the love bombing from him started really early on. Um, at the end of the first date, he was already saying how he was ready to be monogamous with me um, and how he wanted to cancel any of his other dates that he had, because, you know, it's culturally norm uh, normal for young people to be dating uh, multiple people on OkCupid. And, and so he said, you know, oh, I have all these other dates, but I want to cancel all of them because I just I only want to date you and I want to be monogamous with you. And so that was one of the um, things that he said at the very end of the date. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, I, I had a really great time. But it was also really kind of soon to say that after just one date. I mean, the date lasted like six hours. But, well, it turns out that after that first date, I didn't really get much of a chance to think about it because he was pretty much just um, bombarding me all over with uh, text messages and telling me how amazing that was and how he really wanted to go on another date. And... Um, and he was even talking about going away for weekend plans really early on. He was like, you know, I have I have some friends who live out in the mountains and I really want you to come see them and I want you to meet all of my friends. I want you to meet my family. I want you to meet everybody that I know and you're you're amazing. And so he was really like ready to take this thing really seriously, really fast. And I, on the other hand, was not so sure. So it was definitely a lot. And I, I know that you guys listening are probably thinking, oh my gosh, why did you not run away right there? But I mean, from my experience of having been rejected so many times and having met so many people that were shallow and then finally meeting someone who is interesting and not rejecting me for my health, 
you know, it felt like it was meant to be almost. And so I kind of ignored all of the craziness that was him, you know, being all over me immediately. And so um, we actually went on another date, I think the day after that, maybe a day or two after that. And so we went on another date. We went for another walk. And again, we were talking and talking, talking for hours. And it was really interesting. And he was talking to me about all of his spiritual philosophies. And I was talking to him about my ideas. So, you know, things went pretty well. But every time I was with him, I just felt kind of overwhelmed is the best way to put it. Um, One of the next red flags that came up is that just like, I think it was less than a week after our first date, I agreed to go with him on a weekend trip to meet up with his friends. And so these friends that he was telling me about, um, one thing that he enjoys to do. And when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, wow, he's such an amazing, compassionate person. Um, He likes to help people who might have like health problems or or spiritual problems. And so he used to be into acupuncture. And so he would actually give people free acupuncture treatment, which I thought, oh my God, that's so nice that he's doing this. It's like a a favor that he's doing for these people. And so he said that he had this really interesting friendship with, um, with this older woman who he said that he kind of viewed her like a mother and that she really loved him and that he really loved her and that he would give her free acupuncture uh, treatments when he was a student. And so he wanted me to meet these people that he really liked. And he said, you know, oh, she also has a daughter as well. And they're really nice. They're going to love you. And so I went with him on this trip. that was a couple hours away to go meet up with his friends. And one of the first things that I noticed was that, um, there was definitely, I felt definitely like there was something in the past between this woman and, her daughter. Um, so her daughter was a little bit younger than me and I could tell that there was a little bit of awkwardness in between them, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to assume anything. I was not, I was trying not to assume the worst of the situation. And so I was, you know, I was just being really friendly and really polite and, you know, they really liked me and, and they were being really friendly but there were definitely some weird things that were going on. Like I noticed that, um, he was, a little bit too touchy with, um, the, with the daughter of this woman. And he really liked to give hugs, but he would give hugs that would last like a really long time. And it definitely made me a little bit uncomfortable as someone who is, you know, going, just starting to date this guy. I'm like, okay, why is he giving this girl who's uh, 19 years old? Why is he give her like a minute long hug? Like that's kind of awkward. Um, and so that kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, I ignored my intuition on that again. And as we were driving home after the visit that we make, that we made to these people, uh, he, you know, he gave them an acupuncture treatment and we talked about things and we had dinner. Um, I, I just asked him, I said, Oh, you know, like, was there something between you and, her daughter at some point. And so he, he pretty much denied it, but I could tell that like there was something a little bit weird there. And so I, I just let it go. Um, so we continued on dating after that, 
but I would say that it was just a whirlwind. Like things went so fast from there. He was acting as if he was my longtime boyfriend, even though we had only been dating for a week. And I, you know, I kept casually mentioning that I wanted to kind of slow things down. And he kept saying how I was the one. And I think even after just a week, he said that I was like the one for him and that he felt like he was meant to spend the rest of his life with me and that he was like madly into me. And so, (laughs) um, I, I guess the best way to describe it is that I feel like he was just this excited puppy and I was, I was kind of being dragged along like an owner being dragged along by this really overly excited dog and kind of trying to slow it down a little bit, but also going along for the ride. Um, so pretty shortly after that, he actually um, wanted me to go on a trip to, uh, with his father. And so this is where things start to get a little bit interesting because I did not know this right away, but his father is actually kind of a uh, somewhat of a, a somewhat world famous uh, spiritual guru. And, um, he's really into a certain type of meditation practice. And so he told me a little bit about his father in preparation for me to meet his father. The things that he told me were that, you know, um, don't judge my father too much because he comes across like an asshole. (laughs) And so he, he warned me that his dad was kind of an asshole. Um, But he also said that, you know, my dad is this amazing guy and he's really powerful and, you know, he's one of the best um, spiritual teachers and spiritual masters that there are. And he really, really knows his lineage very well. So um, he was telling me about how people, people will fly from all over the world just to be in his dad's presence. And his dad has written several books and his dad is... um, apparently very good in the field that he, um, that he practices and people will go out of their way, um, take an entire day off of work just to have the honor of being able to drive his dad to the airport because they are hoping that they might catch one little ounce of wisdom from that. Um, even if it's just a sentence or two of some kind of spiritually enlightening, enlightening wisdom from the drive in the air in the um to the airport so that's the kind of person that his dad is and I was a little bit nervous to meet him to be honest it's kind of like he really built this situation up a lot so um I was also told that his dad would expect certain things from me and that um kind of as a bit of a cultural thing I was expected to um to do a lot to help him. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. No worries. The first thing that I noticed when I met this man's father was just, um, and I think that I realized it immediately that he was a massive narcissist and I immediately disliked him to be honest. Um, he was rude. He was crass. He refused to look me in the eye Um, he, we drove several hours just to pick him up at the airport and he was actually yelling at, 
um, at my ex for being a couple of minutes late. And he was just really unpleasant to be around. So I was already not enjoying this, <laughs> this at all. Um, I was expected to drive him to and from doctor's appointments. I was expected to cook and to clean for him. And this was over the course of a couple of days. Um, so you're probably thinking this is really fast um, after only having no known this guy for a couple weeks. And it is. But again, I was just going along with the whirlwind of crazy events. So it's been, and, it's, um, it's, it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. You've now met his dad and who is a spiritual leader and mm-hmm. who is obviously does not, uh, you know, walk the walk when it comes to himself here. And now you're taking care of his dad. I'm laughing yes. while saying this. I apologize. But it's, it's you know, you're taking care of his dad and doing these errand runs for him and driving him or to these appointments. It's only been two weeks and two weeks, yeah. two weeks. And it's, you know, if that's not out of the ordinary, um, you know, I don't know what is, you know, you know, you know, out of the ordinary would be like, you know, two weeks I'm picking up this new guy I'm dating from his dentist appointment that he might've had no one to pick him up from or something. And he got like stuff taken, like, you know, maybe had like a, you know, uh, anesthetic that day that puts you to sleep. You know, that might be, you know, on the realm of like, you know, uh, this is going fast. But here you're not just taking care of him. You're taking care of his dad. So are you thinking like this is crazy or you're just you're just going with it? Yeah, I mean, both. I think my life also an important thing to point out here is that my life had been so crazy up until that point. I mean, nobody imagines that they're going to wake up one day paralyzed. Like that's something that most people never dream of happening to them. But that happened to me. So I think that whole situation just turned around my sense of reality so much that I felt like, you know, nothing, everything is weird. And also nothing is weird. If that makes any sense. Like I am just at this point, like, I don't even know what to expect for life. Like I'm just kind of on this roller coaster and just kind of going along with it. Um, and so it was definitely really weird though. And, um, and there were times where I felt extremely uncomfortable because I felt that I shouldn't really be expected to be doing all of this so soon. And I was also a little bit annoyed about the fact that I didn't feel like my efforts were being appreciated enough. Like it felt like the way that my ex acted was kind of like that he was doing me a favor by allowing me to be in the presence of his dad, because that's how people had treated his dad his entire life. And so that's just what he was used to. Um, so, you know, I was, I was being, I was being treated like somebody who's given something really special. And I was like, I don't really want this. So after that, um, things just continue to keep picking up. He was in his medical school process. And so he was in this process of being extremely busy because he was applying for residency programs, which is not the best time to start dating somebody. Um, but here we were, he was dating me and he was going to interviews all over the place. And again, I was kind of thinking maybe I want to slow this down a little bit, but he was just full force, you know, talking about how I'm the one for him and, um, just how excited he was about this 
whole dating experience that we had. And, um, and so eventually he actually was getting ready to go for a conference. Uh, this is, I think about a month into us dating. Yeah. About a month after we started dating, he was telling me that he wanted to go to this conference, um, for his school. And so we talked about it. And at that point I told him, you know, um, should we be monogamous? Like, are we, are we officially dating? And so we kind of had that story about like whether or not we're officially dating. And I know that sometimes at these conferences, um, people can (laughs) hook up with each other. And so I just wanted to have that conversation with him because we had only been dating for a month and, you know, I didn't really know him very well. And so I wanted to be very clear with him about where we stood with the monogamy in terms of whether he would, you know, hook up with someone at the conference. I would want to know about that. And so what I, what I told him before we went to the, before he went to the conference and I said, you know, we're really early on in our relationship. And so before we take things to the next level of being really serious about each other, I just want to know where you stand about, you know, where we are, like if we're going to be dating each other exclusively. And also if there's anybody that um, you think that you might be interested in at that conference, um, I would like to know about it before I start to become really invested in you. Um, I'm not sure why I felt like saying that, but I think it was just my intuition was telling me that just because I had noticed him being a little bit flirty with other girls, I felt like the need to say that because I felt like there was the possibility of him doing something at that conference. And I, and I wanted to have that conversation with him. And so what we agreed on was that, um, he told me that there was one, uh, that there was one woman that he was interested in, in the past. And he said that he did not think that he was still interested in her, but you know, maybe there could be potentially some old feelings. And so I told him, you know what? Great. Um, that's totally fine. I, I want you to, um, explore how you feel with that because before we move forward in a way that's like really serious and exclusive, I want to make sure that you're fully on board and that you fully feel ready to move on into a relationship. So I gave him permission. I said, you can do what you want to do and what you need to do at that conference. So if you, you know, if you want to explore your feelings with that girl and just to make sure that those feelings are out of the way, then go ahead and do that. And that's fine. But I just need to know about it. And I also uh, need you to use, um, I need you to use protection because at at that point we had already, um, I think about like three, about three or four weeks in, like we had just had sex for the first time and we used like condoms and everything. Um, so we had that conversation and, um, and so he's, he said, okay, no, no worries. I'll communicate with you about, about everything. And, you know, if anything happens, I'll let you know. And so kind of where we left off on it was just that I actually encouraged him to, um, figure out his feelings because I would rather him know and, you know, get that out of the way as opposed to just kind of like have that in the background and and then not know how he felt about me. So I felt, 
I felt pretty comfortable about that because I felt like it kind of gave me a chance to slow things down a little bit, which is what I wanted anyways. And so we, we kept in contact during the conference and, you know, we talked every day on the phone and he told me that it was going really well. And he told me that he really missed me and he told me how much he liked me. Um, and you know, at one point I said, Oh, you know, did you hook up anybody? And he was like, no, no, I haven't. And so finally at the end of the week, it was ready for, uh, he was ready to come home. And so I, I picked him up at the airport and I kind of felt like something was a little bit weird. So he didn't say anything right away, but I said, Hey, so, you know, like, did you, um, did you hook up with anybody? And so then finally he told me that he did hook up with that girl that he was interested in. And we had a long conversation about it. And he told me that, um, he hooked up with her and he realized that he didn't have any feelings for her at all. And that he was really glad to kind of figure that out. It was all out of the way. Um, and he reassured me that he used protection and that, you know, she was clean and that she didn't have anything. And so I definitely didn't like that, but at the same time, that was kind of what we agreed on. And he was feeling really strongly about me. And so even though I didn't like it, um, I decided that it was okay because, you know, he got that out of the way and, um, we communicated about it and we were on the same page. And so, um, I don't know why, but I asked him like two or three times, did you use protection? And he looked me in the eye all of the times and he said, yes, I did. And so there was part of me that didn't trust him, but I, couldn't tell you why, because, um, I couldn't really detect that he was lying, but I just had a weird feeling in my stomach. And, um, unfortunately I ignored that feeling because I, I chose to trust him. And that was one of the first mistakes that I made. Well, just for everyone who has the issue when it comes to, you know, trusting your gut and the intuition. The one thing I always like to say is even though you didn't trust your gut, your gut was right. And that's, and that's a win right there. You know, your intuition was correct. And, you know, you had all these other factors going on that made you blind to not blind, but made you ignore your intuition because that's the job of that whirlwind. But, you know, the good thing is no matter what, even if you didn't listen to it, you were, you were right. And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, going forward that you still have, uh, with you, uh, for everyone who's listening and that now, you know, when to listen, uh, instead of, you know, kind of trying to look back at what, what's the bigger picture in, in here is just another example of, you know, the love bombing had kind of taken its, uh, toll and, you know, put blinders on you in a way. So, uh, anyway, I I interrupted you there, uh, continue. Yeah, no worries. So that was, that was, you know, one of the first major times that I really ignored my gut and I, I had ignored it a few other times, but that was kind of, if I could pin back like one moment that I really made the biggest mistake in that relationship, I would say it was at that point. Um, 
And I'm really protective of my body because I have health issues. I obviously don't want my health issues to become worse. So the last thing that I want is an STD, um, which I don't have. And so um, that's why I made such a big deal about him using protection is because um, I, everybody that I've been with, I've always requested them to show me an STD test just to protect myself. And I always take an STD test between every partner as well. So, um, you know, he had an STD test to show me from like before that. So I knew that he was clean before that, but you know, in terms of that time, um, I just had to take his word for using protection and, and for him saying that she was clean and, you know, he didn't like her and it was, and he's glad that he got that over with because now he knows he doesn't have feelings with her. The next big event happened right after that, which is that, um, something happened in his medical school where he was being threatened to get kicked out of medical school. And so he, he said something during one of his residency programs that, um, was taken offensive, uh, that, sorry, he said something during his residency program that was taken offensively, even though he did not intend for it to be offensive. He has a hard time with communicating and having his communication come out right. And so I really don't think that he meant anything bad by this um, comment that he made, but it was insensitive and it was um, not very appropriate or politically correct so based on that and um, some other things that I did not know about at the time, um, they were threatening to kick him out of medical school. And so this became a whole big, like, he really turned into the victim here. Like, he really, um, why is this happening to me? Like, you know, the establishment is always ganging up on me. And I'm just like, you know, this light force of the world trying to do good. And they're always just trying to bring me down. And so he really kind of brought like the whole victim thing into it of like, this is not fair. This is ridiculous. Um, and so I, I kind of bought into it and I felt bad for him because I was like, wow, you know, they shouldn't kick you out. Like that's kind of really overkill. And I was sympathizing with him. I felt like, um, kicking him out just for making a slightly off color comment wasn't really, necessary. Um, it wasn't like a mean comment. It was just kind of a, a slightly not politically correct comment. And so I, um, I felt really bad for him. I got pulled back in to his allure again. And so the whole feeling that I had about not feeling like I could trust him, um, I started to get pulled back into his <laughs> spiritual allure again. And so at this point I was uh, really into him again. Um, but you know, he made it clear that he really, really, really liked me. And he made it really clear that he wanted me to move with him to his residency program and that he wanted to, um, get married with me and he wanted to have kids with me. And, you know, already just a few months in, he was like, yeah, like, I really, really love you. And, you know, you're the one that I want to be with. And, um, I've never met anyone like you. And I just really want you to be with me during residency. And then, you know, we can, assuming our relationship works out, we can, we can get married and just take things from there. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of the future that he had planned. Um, and so for me, you know, 
it's already, it's a little too soon, just like a couple months in trying to decide if I want to marry this guy or not. But I just decided to kind of try to take it slowly, you know, see how things go. And um, actually one thing that was, um, that we were preparing to do was um, he, his dad had these meditation retreats that he was running over the summer. And so he really, really wanted me to go to his dad's meditation retreats. And he kept saying that it would be really good for me and that I really needed to do it. And knowing how I felt about his father, I was extremely resistant to this, to the idea. And I kind of told him, you know, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of your dad. And I don't know if I really want to entangle spirituality with my relationship. I kind of prefer to keep those things separate and I would prefer to like keep my own form of meditation and you do your form of meditation. And I don't want to have like the guru that's my boyfriend's dad. Cause that just really mixes things up and makes things weird. And so I, I told him about that and he was like, and at that point he was kind of like, yeah, you're kind of being dumb. <laughs> That's what he told me. He's like, yeah, you're, you're just being kind of dumb about that. You know, my dad's the best. And, and that's when he actually started to use my health problems against me. And he said, you know, the, the reason that you're not getting better with your health is because you're doing the wrong type of meditation. And I was like, I'm not going to heal my health condition with just meditation alone. And so he started to like argue with me about this. He was like, you know, like, I really want to help you. I really love you. I really think that my dad can help you. And I really think that with the correct form of spiritual practice and, um, you know, this Chinese medicine stuff that his dad does, he's like, I really think that I can significantly improve your health. And like, I want to do that for you. And so, um, and I was like, you know, I don't know. I'll think about it, but I didn't really want to go down that path of like thinking I can heal myself with meditation. Cause that, you know, I have like a real chronic health problem. And so the, the gaslighting about my health issues became kind of a regular thing he started to do, but it was sort of like, um, it was sort of hidden in this like positive agenda of like, I, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I want to help you. But then also like you're you're not like he would start to kind of say things like you're not getting better because you don't have the right mentality or you'd say stuff like you're not letting go of your past enough. And that's why you have pain. And I'm telling him, no, I have pain because I have arthritis and I have a nerve, a nerve condition. And it's not because of my past. It's because of this health condition is real and you can see it on MRIs and everything. Um, so that was like a really uncomfortable point of our relationship. But I also could tell that I felt like he was doing it from this positive place. So I, you know, didn't take it too personally. So after us kind of debating about this a while back and forth, he, he finally convinced me to, agreed to go to his dad's meditation retreat. And so, um, the mentality that I thought was, you know, I'll be open-minded. I like to be open-minded to everything. So even if I don't have the best impression of something, I want to always give things a chance. So that's kind of my perspective. So I, I agreed that I would, um, try it out. There's nothing to lose, right? <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, 
And also I was being offered the program for free, which it's normally very expensive. So, you know, he offered to let me just go for free and enjoy myself. So I, I agreed to do that. And, um, right before, (laughs) right before we were getting ready to leave. So this is several months into our relationship. Um, I accidentally got pregnant and it's because we were not being careful enough with our methods. And, you know, we, it was, uh, I kind of take responsibility for that, but my body doesn't react well to birth control pills. And so we were trying to do this method of tracking times and, you know, so that was really a very awful thing that happened because I was not at all ready, like absolutely not ready to have a kid with him. You know, I just met this guy and and I have health problems. So obviously I'm not going to have a kid. Um, to me, I immediately made the decision that I was going to have an abortion and there was no question about it for me because I just knew that this was not at all the right time to have a family. When I told him (laughs) the reaction that he had to me telling him that I was pregnant with his kid after just a few months. Um, he was really stressed out in the middle of doing something for school. So he just looked at me blankly and he said, I'm sorry, but I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. (laughs) And so that was his response. It was a very, um, a very flat, non-emotional response, which was really weird. Um, but, you know, I told him, it's okay, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to get this taken care of. And so I planned to have the abortion. And he was actually really supportive of me, really nice the whole time. He, it was a very painful process, and it was really emotional, and it was really sad. And I cried during it because it hurt like hell. Um, towards the end of the abortion process, which lasted for many hours, He told me that he had to uh, go meet up with a friend that he agreed to see before graduating. And he said, oh, I have to I have to go meet up with this friend that I had that I made plans with and I'll be back before the end of the night. And so I said, "Okay, that's fine. You can go. And he came back from meeting up with his friend like very late. I think it was like midnight or one, maybe. And I felt there was a gut feeling that I had. I felt really off about it. And I said, oh, who did you meet up with? And he said, oh, just some friend from medical school. And he was extremely vague about it. And um, he didn't really, like, tell me who it was. And I said, oh, was it a girl? And he was like, yeah, it was a girl. And I was like, oh, did anything happen between you guys? Because I just felt like something was off. Like, I just felt like I just didn't trust him. And he was like, oh, no, nothing happened. You know, we just had to, like, wrap up a few things with the studying. And and uh, it was fine. Nothing, you know, nothing happened. And, like, I don't know why I ignored my intuition again at that point. But I just made the decision to trust him. Um, and so I trusted him. And, and I let it go. <laughs> again. And, um, but you know, there's that weird feeling in my stomach. So I was kind of keeping my eye on him a little bit more closely. Um, the other thing that started happening around that time is that he would make like 
around this point in time, so he kind of already got me really hooked into his life. But at this point, he started to make really weird comments. And I think this is like maybe when some of the devaluing started to happen, which is already kind of soon. Um, But he would make comments that were meant to be sounding as if they are compliments, but they're like really backhanded compliments. And so he would say stuff like, um, you know, you're not conventionally attractive, but I find you really attractive. And I'm like, that kind of didn't sound like a compliment. Like that sounded offensive actually. Um, and at one point he, he told me that I was, um, I remember this. I will always remember this. He told me that I was a six out of 10 on the attractiveness scale. And I was like, I got really offended. I was like, why would you tell me that? And so he actually turned it around on me. And he said that I was the one who was being shallow for being offended by the fact that he called me a six out of 10. And he's like, he's like, what? Like looks don't matter that much. And you know, it's still better than average. So like, you're being really shallow for being offended about that. And I was like, um, okay, I don't agree with that. And so that really bothered me and that kind of stayed with me for a while. So he would just kind of make these really weird comments like that. Um, He started to also kind of make really subtle comments about other women that really bothered me. Like he would, he would say things like, um, like, oh, do you want to go to the beach with, you know, this friend? And then he would say, like, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself, but she has a really nice body. And I would say, oh, you know, was I supposed to feel bad about myself based off of that fact? So kind of like, almost like he was planting these ideas in my head, like almost like he kind of wanted me to feel bad about myself, but without making it obvious that that's what he wanted. And so um, around that time, my confidence was really starting to kind of go down based on all of these really weird things that he would say. But I guess I already felt kind of hooked into him. And so even though he would make these things that made me feel really bad, every time I tried to talk about it, he would make it sound like I was just really overreacting and making a big deal out of nothing. Um, And then I would start to kind of question my own reality. And I would say, like, maybe I am too sensitive. Maybe, Maybe this is contributing to my illness. Maybe I'm just really nervous. Erotic. Maybe I just need to let things go. Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm just kind of acting crazy. And so I started to kind of feel like I was the crazy one at that point. Um, so we're getting ready at this point for him to leave for his residency program. And things are just crazy because while he's going to leave for his residency program, I'm going to drive with him and, and help him move into his new home. And then the plan is that I'm going to um, go to his dad's spiritual retreat. And right after the, his dad's spiritual, spiritual retreat, I'm going to um, help him again to get ready and get situated at his new program. And um, I was actually planning on moving in with him just to see how things would go with our relationship because I didn't really have anything else going on in my life. And I was working from my computer. So I thought this would be an interesting 
changed for me and a way for me to kind of move out of, I was living with my parents at the time. So I thought like, okay, I can get out of my parents' house. I can move to a new place and just try this out and see if this relationship is going to work out or not. Um, so we actually started to prepare for, um, the big road trip out to his new residency program. And we had a really fun time on the road trip. Like it was a really, really wonderful period of, I think about a week, we met up with one of his friends on the way and, um, we had adventures and it was, it was really great. So we had a really great time. And, um, towards the very end of the road trip, like we were just talking for hours every day. We would talk about the future. We would talk about our interests. We talk about spiritual things. He would talk about everything that he wanted to do in his life. And he was trying to help me figure out what I wanted to do with my career as well. And so, um, it was a good time. And towards the very end of this really long, uh, cross country road, almost cross country road trip that we took, um, we, the conversation came up again about the conference that he had in the very beginning of our relationship several months ago. And, um, And so I'm not sure why, but my intuition came back to me again. And so I felt the need to ask him. I asked him, I think it was a third or a fourth time. I said, that night that you slept with that girl, did you wear a condom? And he said, yes. And I asked him again. I said, I said, really? Are you, are you sure that you wore a condom? And this time, like his eyes looked blank and it, I, I looked into his eyes. I was driving in the car at this point and I pulled over, I pulled over onto the side of the road in the middle of some cornfield somewhere, um, just in the middle of America. And I stopped the car and I looked at him again and I said, are you telling the truth? And he said, I'm sorry, I didn't use a condom. And so he admitted that he lied because he could tell, he could tell that I, had caught on to his lie. And so that was one of the worst feelings that I had ever had. And in that moment of time, I felt like I had just been tricked for months. I felt like I had been played. And to me, it was such a big deal because he slept with her the same night that he slept with me and he lied about using protection and he lied about, he lied about, um, also the situation as well. And so he finally came clean to me and he told me the truth. And I was so upset. I was ready to break up with him. In fact, I, I did break up with him at that point in time and I just lost it. I completely, just went off the handle. I told him, you know, that he wasted months of my life and he pulled me in and he brought me across the country and that he made me uproot my life and that our entire relationship was a lie and that he had misled me. And he was like, you know, he was like, you're kind of overreacting a little bit. It was just a condom. And I was like, but you lied to me about it. And that's my health. You know, you could have gotten me sick and I'm already sick to begin with. And so 
as I found out, because I asked him more details about what happened, is that he also lied to me about the fact that the girl that he slept with was the girl that he was interested in, that he wanted to kind of sort things out with in the beginning. Like how he said, oh, yeah, I have this girl that, you know, we have a past. We want to explore our past and see if we have a thing for each other. So he lied about that. The girl that he hooked up with was just some random girl that he just hooked up with for fun. And so um, here I was. This was literally two days before his dad's meditation retreat. And so I'm supposed to go on a meditation retreat with a bunch of people who know um, my ex and who know that I'm my, I'm the ex's new girlfriend. And I'm just being told that he lied to me about something huge. And I like practically just broke up with him. And so I just told him, you know, I don't think I want to date you anymore. This is a really big deal. Um, but you know, I don't really have anything that I can do to buy a ticket to go home right now. And so kind of my only option is just to go along for the meditation retreat and hope for the best. And then after that, um, I think I'm probably going to just get a ticket and go home. And I, I don't really want to do this anymore with you. So, so, so that's how we left. So off. here you're like really in a stuck spot. You're in a place where you yeah. do not want to be at all. Your uh, ex-boyfriend at this point has devalued you. His uh, main tactic, I think, using against you is when, you know, maybe when a truth does come out of some sort and he doesn't like that truth, he does his, he really does his best to flip it around and blame you in some way that, like, you're not, you're looking at it from this perspective, you're kind of wrong, you know, when it came to, like, your morals in this situation. And now you're dealing with the fact that he has uh, lied to you and that everything pretty much you maybe start to realize is a lie. And now here you're stuck with uh, people that might be bigger narcissists than himself in a very... Uh, you know, what is supposed to be a spiritual practice, but is most likely a cult-like environment. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly it. So it's a pretty dirty situation that I've gotten myself into at this point, and there's not really a good way out because like I said, I'm kind of, I don't really have a lot of money at this point in my life. And, um, it's not like I can just buy a $500 plane ticket that day and go home. I already have all of these plans. So I got myself into the situation and I decided that I was just going to ride along with the wave and just, you know, try to make the, try to make the most of it and try not to overthink it too much. But it's a really pretty terrible situation to be in, especially since I'm about to meet, um, there were like several hundred people at the event. And so I'm about to meet several hundred people who are like devoted members of this, like pretty much kind of cult, I guess. I didn't realize it was kind of a cult, but it more or less is. Um, and, and of course everybody is going to want to meet me because I'm the girlfriend of the son of the guru, you know? So, um, I end up going to the event, which I probably shouldn't have done, but I did. And I met some of his friends there who I had never met for the first time. I was meeting them at that event. 
And it was really awkward the whole time because I um, was there to learn this certain type of meditation and I was there to try to better myself and to try to further my spirituality. And I was not there for drama. I was really there to try to work on myself, um, which is almost impossible to do in this type of situation. But I was trying to make the most of it. And so I pretty much, um, I didn't tell anybody there except for one person. There was one girl who I befriended and I just, I couldn't keep it in any longer. At one point I kind of, uh, we were staying together in a room and we became pretty close. And so at one point I kind of broke down to her a little bit and I told her everything that happened. And I, you know, I cried to her and I, and I said, please, please don't talk about this. Please don't tell anybody about this, but this is the situation I'm in. I'm dating out, I'm dating my ex. And, you know, he just did this terrible thing that was so uh, disrespectful of me to me. And I don't even really want to be here, but here I am. Um, and, she actually had known him for a while. And so she started to tell me about a couple of things that were a little bit concerning about some of his friends, about the way that his friends who were in the medical field uh, were kind of womanizers. The people that he spent time with, um, like his mentors. She told me a couple stories about how one of his mentors made a really inappropriate comment about a, um, about a female patient who was actually underage. And so these are the types of people that he's associating himself with and that he's learning medicine from are, are people who um, adults who are making inappropriate sexual comments about female patients. And I was like, that's really disturbing and so I was really disgusted by that. Um, and I also met some other friends who knew him. And some of them were incredibly nice to me. And some of them were a little bit off. Um, a few of them kind of had a similar type of arrogance and narcissism that I detected in his father and in him as well. And so overall, the community was... There were some people who were extremely nice who really um, were so kind to me. And then there were some people who were just really kind of up in the clouds with their level of arrogance. And I would say that definitely that spiritual community had a massive amount of narcissism in it. And this is something I've been learning about lately is spiritual narcissism and how that looks in groups and in cults. And so the experience that I had was really mixed because on one hand, um, the form of spirituality that is taught, the spirituality itself is a very pure and very good thing. It comes from a long ancient lineage that goes way, way, way back in time. And so the teaching itself, um, which comes from, uh, it's like a form of Taoist meditation. The teaching is really great, but when there's the people that are, um, really big narcissists that are the ones teaching it, it's really difficult to get those learnings because the people can be so toxic. And so, um, the whole time I was there, I was really just trying not to think about <laughs> my ex. Um, I was trying not to think about that situation. Um, but towards the end of it, he really started to 
like beg for my forgiveness. And he started to beg for me to come back to him. And, you know, oh my gosh, I made such a huge mistake. I really hope that you're having a great time. Like, I can't believe it. Like I wanted, I'm so sorry. I wanted to tell you about that thing that happened and there was just never a good time to tell you. And I felt bad about it, but I also didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I also think you were kind of overreacting. So he was making a really big effort to try to pull me back in at this point, which I guess you would call that like yeah, well, he, 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 well, he's he's asking you for forgiveness, but at the same time, he's absolving himself of uh, his part in it by saying that it was you know you overreacted. Yeah, yeah, and also I think he did that intentionally because he knew that I was in a really vulnerable place of like, um, whenever you go to a spiritual retreat, it makes you it makes you really vulnerable while you're there. And so you kind of open yourself up emotionally in ways that are, that you might not open up otherwise. And so I think that like, you know, he knew that I was going through that experience. And so, you know, he thought that I would be more receptive to it, I think. Um, and so, you know, I, um, there were a couple of other things that I heard at that event about him that were not favorable. His friends told me that, you know, oh, wow, okay, so you're dating, you know, so-and-so, not going to say his name. Uh, They're like, how's that going? And I'm like, it's going okay, just really didn't want to talk about it. And so they're like, well, you know, I've heard that he's really improved because he used to be really kind of a big asshole. (laughs) And, um, And actually one of his exes was there too. And she told me a few things about how uh, they were younger when they dated. And I guess he really broke her heart and, you know, she really liked him. And um, I did not really want to get involved in all their drama, (laughs) to be honest. So I kind of tried to stay out of it. Um, But, yeah, there were a few things that I heard there about him kind of being basically a narcissist is more or less what people were saying, uh, but without really using those terms precisely. So um, at the very end of the retreat, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but he kind of pulled me back into his orbit again. And he said, look, you know, I made a really big mistake, but I promise that I'll never do anything like that again. And so I, since the retreat was like closer to him than it was to my home, uh, I decided that it would be easy enough just to give it another try and just to at least meet up with him and see if we could kind of work things out again, because I still had feelings for him, even though he put me through that. Um, so I, move in with him to his new place. And we kind of put that issue beside behind us and we actually start to have a really good time again. So we're kind of enjoying ourselves. It's kind of like the new honeymoon stage of like moving into a new house and, um, you know, buying house decorations. And, and so he's kind of pulling me back in and really love bombing me again, (laughs) um, making me feel really special, making me feel really loved. Um, and we're, and so we're having a really good time 
at that point. Um, so I actually ended up going back to him and staying with him and living with him for a while. And things were, things were pretty good. Um, but eventually as expected, (laughs) um, things started to get worse again. And so I am, I'm surprised that I stayed for this long in this relationship, looking back, I'm kind of thinking like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? I think I just, I felt so low about myself. Like he had kind of brought me down to this level of confidence where I felt like I lost my identity really, because he kept telling me all of these things about everything that I was interested in. He started to like, kind of slowly take over my life. And he did it in this really subtle way that was like, makes it look like he's not controlling me and make, you know, making it look like it's just a suggestion that's meant to be helpful. But he would say all of these things that were really devaluing to all of my interests. Like I I was interested in pursuing psychology and he would be like, Oh, that's stupid psychology. Yeah. That's just a bunch of bullshit. That's just a bunch of, you know, Western diagnoses and they're so narrow minded in the way that they think about things. And, and that's dumb. You shouldn't do that. You should do, you should really like, you know, learn this form of Taoist meditation. You should learn it really well. And at that point I was also isolated from other people. And, um, he also kind of discouraged me from connecting with my old friends because he would say things about, Oh, those people are kind of low vibration and you know, they're, they're shallow people and they just care about shallow things. Like you should really associate yourself on a higher wavelength. And one of the things that he did to kind of manipulate me into losing my identity was that he would constantly bring my health into the equation. And so he would say things like, do you even want to get better? And then I'd be like, of course I do. But, you know, I have a health issue. Like, this is not really something that's negotiable. I can't just snap my fingers and pray and make it go away. And he would, he would say things like, well, if that's the attitude that you have, then, you know, nothing good is going to happen. And so he kind of blamed me in a way for my health issues and, and made it sound like I was choosing to be sick. And that if I had just kind of spiritually elevated myself, that I would be able to like elevate myself out of being sick. Um, which looking back at it, like it's such twisted logic, but at this point I felt so, I guess, devalued and and gaslit and, you know, make him making all of these comments about how I'm not wanting to get better and about how all of the things that I want to do are stupid and about how I should, you know, um, elevate myself. It was kind of like, wrapped up in this package, trying to make it sound as if he wants me to just become a better person. And he wants me to, um, achieve great things. But when you step outside of that and look at it from the side, actually what he's doing is he's kind of controlling me and he's controlling my interests. He's controlling my spirituality. He's controlling like who I spend my time with. And he's even controlling the way that I feel about my, my own health. And yeah, yeah, at this point, it sorry. At this point, it sounds l- like you are so twisted around 
that you really your thoughts aren't your thoughts anymore and he's re- he's really in control here of uh you know being able to push a spot and know what it's going to be like how you're going to be able to react to that so he he kind of has his grip on things where not that you've given up. You just don't know what's up, what's down, what's left or right anymore in a sense. And it's hard for you to even navigate where to go because you don't know what direction is what. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would use the word um, instability is definitely the word I would use. Like I, I felt so unstable during that period of time. I felt like everything that I, I thought that I knew about myself um, and the way that he would use spiritual philosophy and spiritual discussion. It was almost like he would do this like spiritual word salad or something like where he would go so far out into these really obscure concepts and kind of link it to like the Tao Te Ching. And and he would make all of these really weird analogies, but because he was so intelligent, he would say it in a way that sounded really brilliant, you know? So like he would say things in a way that sounded extremely um, persuasive and extremely, like everything that he said, he would say these ridiculous, ridiculous things, but he would make it sound like it was obviously a great idea. Um, and that's one thing I learned is that he's an extremely man- manipulative person and he frequently gets what he wants and he's really good at making people do the things that he wants um, when he wants it done. But he does it in a way where people don't always feel like they're being manipulated. Sorry. Like people don't always feel like they're being manipulated. So it's like almost like this inception thing. Like he almost like plants these ideas into your head so that you think that it's your idea. And he, and he's so manipulative that I've actually had conversations with him where he's admitted to doing this. He admits that um, sometimes he wants to create um, a spiritual change in people's, in people's lives. And he says that he wants to do it to help them or to better them. And he says, you know, sometimes you just have to get in there and people don't always know what's best for them for them. And so you have to make it sound like it's their idea. And I'm like, that's really manipulative behavior, but he's doing it in this way where it's like, he has such this like delusion of grandeur about himself that it's almost like he thinks that he has this godlike power to just reach in and mess with people's minds and manipulate their lives. And he does it kind of out of um, this illusion of helping people. And so that's what I noticed is that going back to that woman and her daughter from the beginning of the story that I mentioned, how he was talking about how he was giving this woman free acupuncture treatments and how he, you know, really liked these people and they really liked him. So that's kind of what he was doing with these people is that he was basically um, manipulating them in a way that made it look like he was being really helpful and he was being really uh, charitable. And I think there's a term for this. Um, Maybe you know what it is. It's like these um, humanitarian narcissists, <laughs> like altruistic narcissists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's like, and they're using um, caring. It's 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 caring disguised, or sorry, it's control disguised as caring. What's, exactly. What's going yeah. on? 
and an actual like you know we use the word manipulation because manipulation is is a strong word and it's a deserving word but you know the softening word that people use now when they're in uh i guess maybe sales techniques and things like that they now call it social engineering and, oh yeah, and it's a, it's manipulation. They just gave it a different name, so it doesn't sound as bad. Um, but that's what he was doing. He's he's manipulating, but he's socially engineering his outcome that he wants. Exactly, and one of the really creepy ways that he would describe it, and this I think that this kind of sums up his entire persona and his entire. Um, perspective on the world. He would say, I accelerate people's karma. So he would, he literally would say that interacting with me accelerates somebody else's karma, meaning that when I get involved in somebody's life, I bring them through my actions. I bring them to a karmatically higher level. And the way that he would quote um, spiritually expedite people's karma is that he would do these things that were purposely kind of, um, unpleasant and manipulative. Like he would, he would make really uncomfortable comments and then he would watch people's reaction to them. And so he would kind of say this comment that's like a little bit off-putting or maybe a little bit insulting. Like I remember he made this comment to my friend at one point that I felt so embarrassed about. He, um, I don't, he made some comment about, um, the way she looked or something like that. And it was like this really weird kind of like sort of insult, but you can't really pinpoint it down. And um, it made her really uncomfortable. And after after that, he said, "Well, she she needed that to to grow spiritually." And so he would he would do these things almost like um like he had the authority to decide what people needed in their lives to spiritually grow, and then he would do that to them whether they gave consent for it or not. So kind of like going in people's lives, like making these comments that would make them feel really uncomfortable or make them feel really upset. And he felt like he was doing something good by raising them to the next level. I mean, the the analogy that I have for that is like, um, you know, if you punch someone in the face and then they're like, Hey, that hurt. And then they're like, well, now you're a stronger person for it. And you, you needed that. And now, you know, you're tougher because of it. So he, he did like the spiritual form of that. So he would do that to people a lot where he would um, just really drive people out of their comfort zones, um, say comments that were disrespectful. And he even started to do things to me like he would purposely push my buttons by saying uh, he would test me by saying things about other girls that he knew made me really uncomfortable And so he would say like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. This girl's really beautiful and she's really great and she's really blah, blah, blah. She's fantastic. And then I'd be like, why why are you talking about that? You know, like, why are you talking about this other girl? And he would say, oh, what? Does Does that bother you? And I'd be like, well, yeah, it does bother me. And he's like, 
well, you know, it shouldn't bother you. And then he would continue to do it until I got, until I got to my breaking point. And then once I got to my breaking point, he would say, see, look, I knew you were going to react that way. And then he would use my reaction to the way that he was purposely pushing me as evidence that I am spiritually uninvolved. And did you believe it? Well, actually at that point in time, like he had gotten me so confused and so twisted just with all of the isolation, all of the comments, all of the devaluing, um, the lies, just the whole confusion with his dad's event that like, I started to kind of, yeah, I started to believe it. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I started to think like, wow, maybe I am really spiritually uninvolved and maybe there is something wrong with me and maybe I'm not getting better because I'm a bad person. And so I started to really think like there was something wrong with me. Well, for everyone else who, who's listening, you know, that type of abuse that happened there is called reactive abuse. If that's kind of going on with uh, you where, you know, you uh, were brought into this, into this little argument here and then your reaction to it, which he knew you were going to get, he's now using it against you. He's really good at turning things around and using it against you. Oh yeah. And he started, he started to do that more and more and he started to do it constantly. And it was like, I think it was, that was one of his strategies to break me down emotionally and to break me down spiritually and to make me feel worthless. And he would start to, it it also sounds like, sorry, it also sounds like he uses these kernels of truths that he's been able to plant from the beginning until now. And those kernels of truths help with with really turning things around on you because there is a hint that is there and that's what he's got you stuck on. Yeah, like he would take kernels of truth, like um, he he would talk about things that were really positive, like for example, a certain type of like breath work or a certain type of meditation. And then he would kind of twist that into his version of reality, which is that like, okay, um, there's this really great practice that you can do. And if you're not doing that for two hours a day, then that means that you want to be sick. And if you're not, and so, and then he kept changing the goalposts and I'm like, like he would kind of be like, you know, whatever, you know, it's not my problem. Like if you want to, if you want to suffer, then that's your choice. But if you're not doing this type of meditation, then clearly you're not trying to help yourself. And so he kind of like used like the spiritual practices against me in this really manipulative way where I was starting to feel like obligated to do these things and it became really unenjoyable and I really resented it. And I, and I eventually said, you know, I don't want to do your form of meditation. I don't want to do your dad's form of meditation. I want to do my own form of meditation and I don't want you to keep telling me what to do and keep putting this over my head. Like it's my fault for physically being unwell. If I don't do the things that you tell me to do. Um, and he was like, well, you know, whatever people can choose to suffer, but that's your karma, not mine. You know, like just these really uncompassionate remarks that made me realize that like when I, I initially thought that he was a really compassionate person, but actually that compassion was just basically fake compassion. It's like he was using compassion as a tool 
to try to um, make himself seem really altruistic and to try to ma- manipulate people into um, falling into his spell, I guess. And I think that that's his tactic for how he brings people in is he uses all of these weird manipulative behaviors. Um, so I was really starting to feel down about myself and he started to kind of make some comments about, um, my weight as well. Um, that made me really uncomfortable. I struggled with an eating disorder in the past and I gained, I gained like 10 or 15 pounds, which I was still quite thin. Actually, I was underweight when I met him. And so, you know, he said that like, he liked me better when he, when he first met me and that I was just like a little bit chubby for him. Um, and that made me feel really bad because someone who has a past of an eating disorder, like that's the last thing that you want to hear. And then if I got upset about it again, he would tell me that I'm really being sensitive and that I'm being shallow or that, you know, when he's the one making a comment about my appearance and then he's calling me shallow for being upset about my appearance. So, so at that point I was living with him and, um, I decided that I wanted to go back to my home state and that I wanted to be long distance with him because, I just wasn't very happy and I wasn't sure about the relationship. So I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a break from living with him. And I just needed to like get my head screwed on right again. And so we decided that we were going to just take a little bit of a break, um, from each other. And so I, I went back home and I was kind of feeling really depressed at this point in time and just really bad about myself. Um, and so we, we took a break for several weeks, but then we did end up getting back together. And, um, at this point in time, what I didn't know is that there was another girl that he was starting to see when I was taking a break from him. And, um, so he didn't tell me about that and I actually didn't find out about that for a very long time. But at this point, our relationship was kind of falling apart a little bit. It had been over a year of, um, just dwindling self-confidence on my part and dwindling mental health and also my physical health getting worse too. And, um, and so I was back and forth coming to visit him a few times. And at one point when I came to, to visit him, I didn't know that he was having an affair at this point in time. I walk into the house and everything is perfectly clean and it smells really nice. And so I'm like, thank you. That's so nice. You cleaned up for me. This is really great. And he gives me a, a kiss and he makes me feel really loved and he makes me feel really great. But then pretty shortly after that, I start to notice that there's woman's things in his home. And so, um, I see some hair that's not mine and I see, um, a used tampon that is in the trash can. And so I confront him about it and I'm like, Hey, who's been at your house? 
And so then finally, uh, he comes clean to me after I had spent an entire day and several hundred dollars flying to see him. He finally decides at that point in time to tell me about the affair that he's been having. (sighs) And so God, at this point in time, I, my confidence is just in the trash and I'm feeling so bad about myself. And I feel like my heart just dropped into the garbage bin and fell straight onto the used tampon. Like that's, that's how I felt. I felt completely treated like trash to think that he had been having an affair in the house that we had moved in together. And he had been lying about that to me for several weeks and maybe from maybe for several months, I don't even know, but he admitted that he, he basically seduced, um, he seduced the, uh, resident that he was training. So, um, he was the supervisor of this girl at the hospital that he was working at. And he basically convinced to, uh, or yeah, he basically admitted to seducing her and to getting her to sleep with him. And it turns out that she had been living there at his, at the house that we moved in together. She had been living there for a month and I just did not even know what to say to him at that point. I was so disgusted with everything because, you know, he waited until I flew all the way halfway across the country and I spent money to come see him. And then he decides to tell me that he had been cheating on me the whole time. Um, and he saw me fall apart and basically collapse on the floor, crying and sobbing and just completely like breaking apart emotionally. And he's watching me do this like with no emotion. Like he, he has not, he, he looks completely unaffected. In fact, I'm looking at him and he seems to be almost amused by the situation. Like there's not an ounce of remorse in his face. Like he, he's just looking at me with curiosity, almost like I'm some kind of psychological experiment. And I, told him at that point, like, I'm done. This is ridiculous. I I don't want to be treated like this anymore. Like I, but I also just felt so used and so horrible about myself that I had kind of a hard time actually bringing myself to leave him. So I ended up staying there for a while, um, just feeling really depressed and, he kind of tried to like pull me back in and, and win me over. And at some point in time, he even tried to convince me to be like in a weird love triangle affair where he was, he tried to convince me that, um, that maybe he could date both of us at the same time. And I felt so worthless at that point that I was, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but I was practically considering letting him do that just because I felt like, um, nobody else would want to date me. And he would even make comments by the way, like, Oh, you're so lucky that I'm with you. You're so lucky that you 
you know, get to be with this amazing doctor and I'm so great and good luck finding anybody who will put up with your health problems. So, you know, I'm just kind of feeling like maybe, maybe this is like the best that I'll ever get in life. Like maybe I'll never get anything better than this. Um, maybe I should just let him do whatever he has to do. So I like considered allowing that to happen. And he wanted me to like meet his second girlfriend. And he was like really loving. This is the part that's actually kind of sociopathic is that he like loved the situation. Like he would see how much it upset me. And I started to look at his computer and I, and he would leave his computer open. I would read some of his messages on Facebook and he had these messages where he was bragging to his friends about how like, Oh yeah, I have two girlfriends. They're both fighting over me. It's so awesome. It's really great. Ha 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 ha. And you do like all these like smiley, like laughing faces. And so he was like laughing about it and he, he would see me upset and he like, he was in a really happy mood. It made him feel really powerful. And he would like make all of these comments like, wow, it's really great to have two beautiful women fighting over me. In a a way, you know, what's going on here, you know, obviously he's being amused at the power he has, but you know, you're also possibly seeing the beginning of a monster in the spiritual community who's just getting his start, if that makes sense. And and, and that's possibly, you know, what happened to you is scary. You getting out eventually, you know, we'll find out is, thank God, but here's a guy that at the beginning and who knows what kind of uh, havoc he's going to wreak on other people's lives going forward. Yeah. I mean, I will say that this man is a spiritual predator. It's really creepy the way that he gets involved in people's lives in this really like seemingly really innocent way. And as soon as he pulls you in, he just takes control over you and he loves it. Like he just loved the way that he could break me down. And that's really what it felt like. And the other, the other thing that happened is that this woman that he had an affair with at the hospital. Um, First of all, I am pretty sure that she felt really uncomfortable about the whole thing. And I think that he probably pressured her into having an affair with him. And I think that she might, there might've been a feeling of her being concerned about her position in the hospital. And I think that might've been part of the reason that that whole thing happened because um, he brought her over to his house under this really innocent um, disguise of let's let's study and let's practice um, let's practice and study medicine together and, and I'll teach you some of the things that I know because he does this really specific type of medicine that's kind of like physical like osteopathic medicine and he's like yeah I'll teach you some things and I will mentor you and I'll, I'll make you into an amazing amazing doctor because I have such amazing talents. And so, um, you know, he brought her over there and he, he even admitted to it. Uh, he admitted to me what he did is that he, uh, worked on 
slowly like breaking apart her boundaries. And it, he told, he told me that it, that it took him, um, five sessions of meeting up with her. And on the fifth session, he was, he had convinced her to have sex with him. And, and he was telling me all this, like, like proud of it. It was so disturbing and creepy. And I told him that I was disgusted by it, but he was like, he was obsessed with the power that it gave him. And he also loved to see how much it upset me as well. And, um, and the other thing that happened with this girl that he slept with is that I actually met her, which is really awkward and uncomfortable, but she had a mental breakdown, um, at one of the spiritual retreats that he brought her to his dad's spiritual retreat. So again, um, you know, he has this pattern of bringing girls to his dad's spiritual retreats and using that to get with them. And this spiritual retreat that he brought her to, he actually, um, he lied to me about it because he said, Oh, you know, um, I would invite you to this one, but I think that it's not a good retreat for you to go to. So you should not go to this one, but you should go to the next one. The reason that he didn't want me to go to that one is because he brought another girl there. And so this girl that he brought there, she had um, a mental breakdown after the spiritual retreat. And she ended up in the psychiatric hospital hearing voices. And that was right after spending a couple of days with him. And so he told me about this whole thing about how this girl that he had this affair with, he told me how she um, had a mental breakdown and how she was hearing voices and he was laughing about it. Like he found it really funny and really interesting. And, and he said, Oh, I just think it's such a fascinating insight into the human psyche. And so he is watching these women that he pulls in. He's watching them break apart and basically watching them have these spiritual mental breakdowns and he's getting amusement and enjoyment out of it, um, which is really scary. And as I later find, find out this has happened before, like I actually spoke to a couple of his exes and I am the fourth girl who he has made have a spiritual and mental breakdown. Every other one of his exes who has ever dated him ended the relationship in some kind of complete mental breakdown because of the way that he made them feel extremely unstable. This man just leaves behind this long line of women that he like creates these mental breakdowns in, and he seems to have a good time with it, which is just, um, I don't know, it's just really scary. The other thing also is that remember that girl that I was telling you about in the beginning. So as I'm finding out more information from his friends who are telling me things that I never knew about him, um, that I wish that I had known, known in the beginning when I first met him. And so I find out that, um, this woman and, um, her daughter, he actually, tried to make a move on the daughter when the daughter was 15 years old and he was 25. So he was kind of, uh, tricking me into, into thinking that, you know, these people are just his friends and he's just trying to help them out in this innocent way. And meanwhile, I did not know the whole time that this girl 
um, the woman's daughter, that he had a crush on her for years and he wanted to date her when she was a kid and he was an adult. And that's just like, that's so disgusting. When I found that out, I, um, that I found that out shortly before breaking up with him. So basically like a little bit of pedophilia going on, like, I, I mean, 15 years old is kind of young. <sighs> so I'm finding all of these things out that I did not know. And, um, He's also making really disturbing comments about, like, sexuality. I find out that his dad was actually part of some really big sex cult from the 80s that was on the news. (laughs) And so his dad was involved in this sex cult, and his dad apparently slept with, like, hundreds of women there. And then I also find out that his dad, um, who is this spiritual narcissist guru guy, uh, continuously cheated on his mother throughout their entire marriage. And he had tons of affairs and he upset his mother so much to the point where she actually wrote a book about the emotional abuse that this man put her through. And she wrote it under a secret name to protect his identity. And so all of these things that I'm finding out about his father, about the spiritual cult that he's in, about him, about the fact that like his mentors are making like disgusting comments about underage girls. And then about the fact that he tried to uh, date a girl who was underage when he was an adult. And, and then all of the other comments that he made about his dad and his dad's sexual, spiritual practices. At one point in the relationship, he tried to convince me to practice sexual meditation with him in front of his dad, which is disgusting. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard of anything that repulsive in my life, but basically his dad, like, which I didn't know in the beginning, but his dad, like, is this guy who does all this sexual meditation stuff. And, um, And so, yeah, he he wanted to uh, practice his form of sexual meditation with me in front of his dad, which is like the most violently, uh, ah, sorry, the most violently nauseating thing that I've ever heard of. So I'm just really disgusted by this person at this point in time. And um, I am pretty much entirely over him. I'm trying to plan my way out. I'm getting ready to move back home and to break up with him. Um, But I had just never been so upset and low and disgusted and psychologically, spiritually disturbed in my entire life, just finding out all of these things that are really scary. Um, And the thing is that he was never violent. Like he was a really gentle person on the outside. He never hurt anybody. He never hurt any animals. He was, he seemed really gentle, but the way that he manipulates people is just really just to this whole other level. And the way that he enjoys watching people have breakdowns, um, is just really scary. Um, so I am in the process of breaking up with him and I'm finding out all sorts of things that he lied to me about. Basically, um, I find this out through talking to his friends. I saw some messages on his computer and it turns out that that time that I had an abortion, um, 
right after my abortion, he went to go hook up with another girl. And then it also turns out that um, he lied to me several times about meeting up with another girl um, during a conference, which he told me that he was going to alone. So I found that out by looking at his Airbnb account, and I saw on the history that there are two people registered for one room, and the girl's name is on there. And so I confronted him about that. I don't know how many girls he slept with and lied to me about. I know it was at least two, maybe more. Um, But I finally worked up the strength to leave him. And um, at that point in time, he was kind of ready to discard me and give up on me anyways, because he could see that I was just kind of broken down. And, you know, I was just a complete mess. I was just um, upset and sad and crying all the time and um, just really emotionally disturbed. And so he he tried to tell me that I was the narcissist actually. And I, and I started to believe it. Like I went through this period of time where I was obsessively looking up narcissism and I became so concerned that I was a narcissist. And I don't really know why I thought this, but I think, um, he tried to convince me that I was being selfish and that I was self-absorbed because I said some really like I started to kind of behave like him towards the end um, of our relationship. I started to say some really nasty things to him. I started to act in a way that was manipulative. Um, And I think that like I developed these behaviors that he had because I was spending so much time around him. And it was almost like I developed this reactive narcissism to protect myself from his emotional and spiritual abuse. And because I was acting in a way that I could not even recognize myself, I was saying things, I was saying things that I never knew that I would ever say. Like I said some really mean things to him. Um, I yelled, I lost my temper, I broke down. And so he was kind of using this, um, this mental breakdown that I was having to tell me that I'm crazy and tell me that I need psychological help and tell me that I'm a narcissist and that I have all these, you know, psychiatric conditions that I don't actually have. So he's really trying to convince me that I'm crazy. And I, um, I just, yeah, I left him finally, thank God. I packed up my things and I got in the plane and I left and I have never felt so broken in my life. But, um, I felt like a complete empty shell of who I used to be. And my health got worse too, by the way. That's another thing I should mention is that this whole experience, which is ironic because he kept saying that, oh, I'm going to make your health better. And, you know, you're going to improve your health with all these meditation. My health got so much worse in the course of this relationship. And I just felt so broken afterwards, after discovering all of the you know, the things that he said, the things that he did, the disgusting behavior that he did. Like, I, I think that I just felt really disgusted with myself and I felt ashamed of the whole thing. And I didn't talk about it for a really long time because I felt so embarrassed that I put up with all of that, um, psychological abuse and that I just put up with someone who's so disturbing 
But um, yeah, reflecting on the entire relationship, there was never really a period of heartbreak because I think that my heart was just continuously broken by all of the times that he cheated on me. And I think that before I broke up with him, I was already emotionally past him because he hurt me so much. And so in that way, it kind of made it easier to break up with him because when I left, I didn't miss him. I just missed myself, if that makes any sense. I missed who I used to be. So looking back on everything, it's just, I feel embarrassed that I didn't see all of these red flags. And I think a big part of it is just that I was kind of caught up in all of the um, future fantasies that he had for me and, you know, the promise of like being monogamous that he really wanted. That's something that he was pushing for since the very beginning. And then him kind of flipping the script and then cheating on me and wanting polygamy and saying that he wants to be with all these other women. Um, just the whole situation was such a mind fuck. It was so confusing. Um, I met up with a friend after our breakup and she said, that she didn't even recognize me anymore because I just become this empty shell. And that was really hard for me to hear, but I'm glad that I made it out of that. I'm glad that I made it to the other side. Um, I feel like I've moved on pretty well since then. And I look back at the situation. I'm doing a lot better than it was back then. Um, I still feel like I have some psychological and spiritual wounds from the way that he manipulated me and the way that he lied to me. But I think what's been helping me move past that is just um, like listening to this podcast has been really helpful because I'm, I'm learning about the fact that he is a narcissist, which I didn't know for a long time because he's really good at revealing or he's really good at concealing it. And just understanding that I learned a lesson and that the lesson is to always trust your gut to not miss the red flags and um, don't allow yourself to be devalued in that way. And if it feels wrong, then it's time for you to step out. And I think that just feeling so low about myself because of my health is really why I stayed. I think if I, if I had good health and if I wasn't so, um, already low confidence because of that. I don't think I would have stayed in that relationship for so long. I think I would have broken it off pretty, pretty quickly on. So I think a lot of people who have chronic health problems, if you're listening to this, um, it's definitely common to feel worthless because of your health issues, but your life is already complicated enough as it is. So there's no reason to further, make your situation worse and to make your health worse by staying with someone who treats you horribly. It's much better to be single than it is to be in a really bad relationship. So I think that, um, I've, you know, done a lot of growth since then. It feels good to finally be in my own mind again and to not be spiritually manipulated. And I'm finally, um, interested in the things that I like, uh, like all of my hobbies. I can be interested in those without, his judgment and without him trying to force me into doing something I don't like to do. And so I guess I just feel like spiritually free again, and it's a really good feeling. And looking back, I'm, I'm ashamed, but I also try not to blame myself too much for what happened because I, a lot of women have fallen prey to this before, and you're not the only one. 
if this happened to you. And how are you feeling after telling your whole story? It feels really good to tell my whole story. I was looking forward to this because I put this in a little box in my mind and I didn't really want to think about it because it was so disturbing to me. Um, But I think that in order for me to really fully like move forward and move past it, I think it's really kind of cathartic to actually just say everything out loud from start to finish. And having said all of that makes me feel like it's easier for me to kind of acknowledge that this happened and to really put it in the past and to really kind of move on even more from everything. Well, you did a really good job and, you know, you pointed a lot of different things that we haven't heard before uh, for people to uh, learn from. You did a, just a great job telling your story from beginning to end and you, you really let it all hang out there. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here today and you're going to help a, a lot of people. So, you know, just remember, you know, you did go through all of this either, you know, tr- hopefully over time you feel less shame and guilt uh, with everything, but what you did today is going to help a lot of people. And even though you went through it, uh, your experience of it is going to be beneficial to so many people in the, in the long run. So hopefully that'll help you kind of move forward with everything as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate this podcast. I think it helps a lot of people to just hear a variety of different narcissist stories and to move on. Well, and also for a lot of people that, that listen, I guess one of the biggest thing is like people sometimes listen to the show, you know, when they have a, a, a trauma bond and, you know, it helps them stay away. You know, they listen to the reminders of other people. So it reminds them like, you know, if they were going to make that phone call or if their their partner tried to hoover them, you know, they come back and they listen to the show as, as a reminder and, and you're going to help them, uh, you know, with you know, not just the relationship stuff, but, you know, people who are going through spiritual abuse that don't really realize it, what's kind of going on right now. Um, and you did a really good job pointing out a lot of things. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And for everyone else who is listening, I hope you have a good night. <laughs>